to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery, and joining me is the man who's going to take another little piece of your heart now, baby, and he's going to break it. He's going to break another little bit of your heart now. You get the point. Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean... So for this episode, we have a special guest. She's a referral from a friend of the podcast, Shane Leonard, joined us for an episode a few months ago. Her recent project is called Humbird, and she put out a spectacular record last year called Pharmacon. Includes the tunes 48 Hours and Wolf Alice. Please welcome to the podcast, Siri Unlin. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Did I, did I, did I pronounce your name correctly? Yeah, you nailed it. All three of them the band name, my actual name and the album name. So fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen often. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I slaughter our guest names, um, quite frequently and we've got a, we've got one Wayne, I haven't told you, uh, somebody who's coming on in a couple weeks, but I'm absolutely going to slaughter her name <laughs> and I'm going to, and I'm going to feel super bad about it too. Oh, so. Yeah. Sounds bloody. Uh, all right. So, uh, so premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast, I ask the all-important question. So, Wayne, we'll start with you. What T-shirt are you wearing? Uh, first T-shirt I bought this year. Uh, it's a Sublime Blue Dog shirt. It's a a terrible tie-in to the uh, subject of the podcast, though, because Bradley Noel also died just actually about less than three months after his 27th birthday, and mm-hmm. their major label... Debut was released posthumously, much like uh, Pearl was. Gotcha. All right. How about you, Siri? What T-shirt are you wearing? You know, I'm not wearing a T-shirt, but I'm wearing like a jacket sweater thing. And it's plaid. And it's really warm but light, which is key for the Minnesota winter. Because you don't want to feel like you're trapped in a straight jacket. You want to be able to move around, but you want to stay warm. So I've basically been wearing this for a month straight, and I'm going to go strong. <laughs> I'm going to go strong till about March. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, Wayne, maybe we should have some of our guests during the winter be more like California and Texas guests because <laughs> Siri is not the first one of our guests. When I've, when I've thrown the t-shirt question out, they're like, I'm wearing a sweater. I spent most of the night wearing a t-shirt over the top of a long John shirt. So it can be done. That's a look. I like that. It's hard to pee though. If you got to like undo all your long Johns and take a shirt off first, it's like <laughs> a lot of logistics. That that is true. That that's way way too complicated. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so so I'm wearing. Uh, I think I've worn this before, but I'm I'm wearing my Bob Mould Sunshine Rock T-shirt that I uh, mm. picked up last year, seeing Bob for for the first time. So I figured, why not? Since uh, throw out the Minneapolis ties there to you, Siri. What are, I don't know who that is or the Minneapolis ties. I feel like. Oh my my goodness. There is definitely a generational gap here. (laughs) Will you educate me? Absolutely. Husker do Bob. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know the band. I don't, I don't like know the names 
of the band members. But now I know one. There you go. It's Bob Ooh. Mould and okay. Grant Hart. You need to know those two names. Yeah, I actually used to work at a bookshop in town and Grant Hart, when he was still alive, would come in like once a week and just okay. like ask for recommendations and getting really cool book talks. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. It, and I'm sure that was uh, that was interesting because Grant was very well read. Mm, yeah, it seemed like a pretty big passion of his for yeah. sure. So, uh, so as I mentioned in the intro, so your current record, Pharmacon, was was actually done with Shane Leonard. Did he produce, engineer, or did he do both? I can't remember what he told he, us. Yeah, Shane Leonard produced Pharmacon, and it was engineered by Brian Joseph, another superhero. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. So how how did that come to 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 play? So you got both of them to work on your on your record (laughs) i'm still not totally sure how i convinced them to do that but i i am kind of fresh in my like journey of music or at least like putting records out and and trying to make a go of it so i had always worked with friends and i really wanted to like take it seriously work with some heroes of mine and just like go for it. So I sent Shane an email. He was like one of my favorite musicians and producers in the area. So we hadn't met, but I just, yeah, cold emailed him and he liked the songs. And now I sleep in his basement on a green blow up mattress pretty regularly, hang out with his, with his kids. So (laughs) it became a really, I mean, like amazing working relationship and friendship. So I got lucky. That's cool. Yeah. And and for those of you who don't know Brian Joseph, so he is engineer known mostly for Bon Iver, right? And Suf Jan, mm-hmm. Suf Jan and um, Kathleen Edwards. Did he do some stuff with her? That sounds right. He's Brian Joseph is one of those people that like the more you hear about the work he's done, like the less you want to know kind of, you're like, okay, I won't be able to be chill if I keep like hearing about this. So <laughs> just right. hanging out. But yeah, the list goes on and on for both of them. They've really collaborated and worked with some incredible artists. There you go. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, so after I invited you to come on the podcast, so I, I went through your catalog mm-hmm. and, you hadn't selected a record yet. So when I listened to your Where Else EP from 2017, mm-hmm. I, I was almost sure that you were going to like select a Kate Bush record. Because <laughs> the first song on the EP, I, I don't even know how how you pronounce it because you, you've spelled it a little, little a weird differently. One. Yeah. It's funny. Did you just call it Whisper? I just call it Whisper River. Okay. Um, which is, it's like, it's hard to explain just like saying it. If I could write it down for you all and the people listening, it would make more sense. But yeah, I hadn't actually spent much time with Kate Bush until uh, that EP came out and everyone said that. They were like, oh, you must be a huge fan. or Oh, you must really like her. And I was like, what? So then it was like, well, I should probably get with it <laughs> figure out what she's doing <laughs> which i of course loved but i still don't know her her work as well as i'd like to i need to spend some time with it hounds of love 
definitely yeah. yeah definitely spend some time with hounds of love that that would that would be my go-to kate bush for you cool okay we'll do some of those influences that that created that EP? Hmm. Um, there was a lot going on with that EP, but I think the biggest thing is that I was gifted an RC30 looping pedal, which you can plug okay. an electric guitar into and a vocal mic. And I just had always kind of been an acoustic guitar girl before that point. And so the RC30 just blew my socks off and I was kind of just messing around with it and making some truly horrifying compositions as a result. Like <laughs> anyone's first month with a looping pedal is like <laughs> pretty intense sonically, but um, I really love choral music and I love um, Charlotte Monk in particular. She does some really, really wild vocal vocal arrangements. So I kind of, uh, she doesn't use a looping pedal as far as I know, but um, some of her weird techniques, I was like, I wonder if I could do that. And then a lot of Bjork, listening to a lot of Bjork, being like mm. inspired to, you know, maybe try to break outside the box of just a pretty voice and make it weird and strange and uncomfortable for people. That that sums up Bjork right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Love her. I've never, you know, you know, I've never been able to get into Bjork, which mm-hmm. which is kind of weird considering that I I do like Kate Bush a lot. Yeah. Um, Wayne, did, did did you ever get into Bjork? No, I tried to get into the Sugar Cubes and into Bjork, and mm-hmm. I I can't do it. I sort of feel like Bjork is like green olives, like it's so strong tasting that it makes complete sense to me that some people really don't like it. But it's so like the people that are into it love it, you know, like it's just a really polarizing thing and you're not confused about it. You're like, oh, that's Bjork or, oh, that's Green Olives. Like there's no hiding it when it happens. So you either like it or you don't, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But I like Green Olives. I love them too. (laughs) They're like my favorite food. (laughs) Same with Bjork. If I could just listen to Bjork and eat green olives all day, I'd be, I'd have a sodium problem and be really happy. <laughs> right, right. My go-to is Kalamata. That's that's oh, my go-to. So good. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You know, we we just talked about um, Bjork and Kate Bush and the fact that uh, you know a lot of your a lot of your songs are very acoustic based. So I'm always trying to lump artists into genres. So mm-hmm. what would you, what would you consider your genre? Um 
you know, I feel like genres are, they, they're totally helpful sometimes. And if I was like trying to be helpful, I would call it Americana probably. But I just worry a little bit. I don't worry too okay. much. But I think if someone was like really hardcore about Americana or folk, they'd be like really disappointed <laughs> by <laughs> the Humber music and be like, what is this? I don't like it. So I don't, I, it's a challenge, which I'm sure y'all hear a lot. And sometimes I kind of think the person who's making the music shouldn't even really decide what genre it is. I kind of let other people tell me what they think. Yeah, I would probably just... That's not a bad philosophy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good good philosophy. And I don't want to be held responsible for lumping you. And- it always reminds me of that, that line by, <laughs> that Miles Davis said, I'm going to play it for you, and then I'm going to tell you about it. And then he says... <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. great. <laughs> So, so Pharmacon. So what exactly is a Pharmacon? Pharmacon is such a cool word. I learned it a long time ago and always kind of knew it would be something, if that makes sense. You know how words just like rise up from the page or someone says it and it feels like a bell was rung. I don't, I don't know if you guys have that experience, but I have that not too often, but it happens. And Pharmacon was one of them. And the more I learned about the word, the more it just like got even deeper. But the word initially meant a cure or a poison, something that could oh, be both of those okay. things. So like alcohol is an example. Chemotherapy is an example. But it kind of represents both ends of a spectrum. It could be the healing cure or the cause of death, depending on how you want to look at it. I thought that was pretty powerful. So I can call my kids pharmacons? Definitely. <laughs> I mean, everything's a pharmacon if you want to boil it down yeah. far enough. But yeah, it's a cool word. There's also examples of it being used to describe the written word. Socrates said that the written word was a pharmacon. There's references um, to snake poison as oh. pharmacon. Or like there are other examples where it's like considered another word for like a cast or a spell or a charm. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Words are cool. <laughs> I will be your pharmacon, keep you well when day is young. Light your life just like the sun, steal your breath when day is done. Love, like a poison. September is going, going, gone. I will be your remedy, bring you up and help you see. Hold you close, then set you free. Promise what I cannot keep buried deep is a quiet sea. Winter comes and all small creatures. I would assume that you do spend a lot of time working on the the lyrical side of your compositions, for, correct? Yeah, I, lyrics are definitely often where I like enter into the creative process. I kind of start with writing. And I mean, not always, but it, I think that lyrics matter a lot like if you're going to say something 
make it count. So your your lyric first, music second. Generally, but you know, songs land. They land however they land, and you can't really control it. I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want a format to right slow me down if that makes sense. Yep. So sometimes lyrics come or progressions jump out or melodies, but often for me it's lyrics. Okay, interesting because yeah. that that is the reverse of what a lot of the the guests that we've had on have told us that, mm-hmm. that you know they usually yeah they're usually starting at the music. And then they'll they'll mm-hmm. bring in the lyrics later. I mean, we just did a yeah. we just did an episode on REM, for instance, and you know the rest of the cool. rest of the band would do all of the music, and then Michael would come in. Michael Stipe would come in, and he would basically bring his poetry to to the the mix, and then mm-hmm. that's where you come up with all the all of the songs. So interesting, yeah. That's cool. So I love the sequencing of your record. Um, so you go from a, a really somber song like April um, to Pharmacon mm-hmm. to Seashells, for instance. Did you spend much mm-hmm. time thinking about the sequencing of the of the record? Not really, actually. I think I think I made a sequence, and then I was like, "Hey, Shane, what do you think the sequence should be?" And he sent me like the exact same one, and I was like, oh, "Okay, cool. <laughs> that was easy." Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, just with like the picking patterns of the songs all put together and, and just thematically, I think all of us who were like really close to it, it, it felt almost obvious the order that it should go in, which is great because I always have found that process like really arduous <laughs> and frustrating. So it was cool for that to be a non-issue this time around. That's very awesome. Mm-hmm. So... So let's talk about a couple of the songs. So, um, yeah. so you you start off the record with a song that's less than than two minutes long, for instance. So, <laughs> so, 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 what was what was the thought process about from from that as your introduction to to the record? Um. Well, in in a lot of ways, that song in particular is it's just it's almost feels like a prologue or something because I it's a it's a song I wrote after a double shift working as a pizza waitress which is my side hustle fairly often and yeah and I think in some ways the song serves as like opening the door it's like okay this my normal or like my day-to-day life that can be like stressful and hectic and like just um can can feel like it's maybe not on the path towards music in the way I wanted it to be at least this was my life two years ago which is when the song was written and I feel like in that song I kind of it's like I'm taking my server apron off and I'm opening the door via song into like this whole other world that existed in my brain, no matter what I was doing. And so then I think the songs kind of get maybe a little more complicated or abstract from there on out. But the first song is like, I'm tired and I don't know what the point of any of this is. And that kind of seemed like a good place to start. (laughs) Right. So long, long shift. And I, I I only have about two minutes of a song in me. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's like it's a song of desperation. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, and then the the following song, which um, you guys also did a video for, uh, mm-hmm. Wolf Alice. So what, yeah. what what's the story behind the title of the song, the video of the song? What's 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 uh what's the behind the scenes of of that song? Behind the scenes. Um, well, that song is based off of a short story by Angela Carter called Wolf Alice. Are you are either of you familiar with Angela Carter? I am not. Oh, neither am I. She is so so good. Um, she has a collection of stories called The Bloody Chamber, which is my favorite. But she kind of was an author who took the Disneyfied fairy tales and just like ripped them back up and kind of made them terrifying again in like the best way. So Wolf Alice is one of my favorites of hers. It's it's an old story. She kind of just like refurbished them, I guess. But um, Wolf Alice is raised by wolves in the woods. And the village finds her and tries to civilize her. And she... How does it go? I guess the important part. Is it okay if I give away the ending? It's still... It's a fairy tale, so the story is still awesome. Yeah, go for it. You know the ending. Yeah. <laughs> she she's like got a corset on and all that crap um civilized and she passes like a full-length mirror and she doesn't recognize her own reflection and so she attacks it and the mirror shatters and falls on her and she dies and i was just like holy crap there's a lot to unpack there and ended up writing a song about it um so if if you listen to the verses the lyrics kind of actually follow the narrative of Angela Carter's story fairly closely, but I found that the choruses were a way to kind of explore my own experience as a person in a female body, like moving through the world and how, um, how you can feel so trapped, like by your own mind or trapped by current events or yeah, like you just have this wild body that's doing all these crazy things all the time, but you got to make it pretty or clean it up, make sure it smells good and it's presentable. So that was, it felt like the fairy tale was a vehicle to talk about the experience of being a woman in America and in the 21st century, as I see it. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. And then the video was, was a cool way to kind of take it one step further because I like, gathered together with some of my favorite artists and creators in the twin cities and we made seed balls which are these uh you just take native pollinator seeds and you put them in clay and roll it into balls and then you can just like chuck it into abandoned lots or concrete areas and the clay allows um the seeds to have a little bit of an extra head start so it was kind of this cool um, amalgamation of like women's rights, environmental rights, guerrilla gardening, and this like really ancient story about civilizing women's bodies. And it, I don't know, I don't know if that all made sense, but that was what was bopping around in my brain as we were doing all those things. It makes sense, even though we're a couple oh, yeah. of 50 year old dudes that uh, <laughs> you know. we're not your demographic, but that we still get it. <laughs> Hey, you know what? Doesn't matter what your age or your gender is. Seed balls are really fun to make. 
get messy and then you just like throw things around. It's it's like very cathartic. It it looked like you guys had a great time doing it. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fun. Oh, yeah, it's cool. Look at yourself, feral beast from the forest shell. Flesh upon your breath, and words that melt. Looking in the mirror, but she can't tell. Eagle's nest above the bay. So many things I couldn't. Now tangled up and woven tight, these secrets are. So I do have to, I do have to tell you that based off of me trying to find Wolf Alice on YouTube, mm. um, so there's there is a there's a band called Wolf Alice. Are you aware oh, of them? Yeah. They're great. They're so good. I love them. So I was not, I did not know who they were. And now I'm a big fan of, of that band as well, because after playing your video, so the next thing that YouTube suggested was a video called don't Don't delete the kisses by Wolf Alice. So (laughs) awesome. So there you go. I've loved that band for a while and I didn't, I actually knew of them before I read the fairy tale, but the fairy tale, I think it's from like the thirties or forties. Angela Carter was writing in. I could be totally wrong about that, but it was like, wow, I bet the band got it from Angela Carter too. I'm looking at Angela Carter's Wikipedia and she born 1940 died 1992. I wonder when the bloody chamber came out. That would be good um, info for you to know. Nineteen seventy nine. Okay, cool. Forty years off. Oh well. <laughs> give or give or take a couple decades. It's all good. Century. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all good. Um. So so just last comment on Pharmacon. So the the last two tracks on your record, I love. Um, mm. especially low tide. That's probably my go-to. It's just a cool. really chill song. So yeah. when, when you're playing this live, um, I would assume that, you know, you're, you're, you're doing a lot of things that it's just you and your guitar. So how, how, and I've, and I've asked this of, of some other artists as well. So what's, what's the process of translating, you know, these songs that are so spatial and, you know, you've got, you know, Shane Leonard and Brian Joseph working on those those songs. And how do you translate that to just you and a guitar and and you're still able to, to kind of capture that feel uh, of mm. those songs? Yeah, um, well, I actually most often tour as a trio. Okay. So it's, it's me on electric guitar um, Pat Keen on upright bass and Peter Quersfeld on drums. And Low Tide is one of our favorites to do together. They are both incredible jazz improvisers, actually, and they kind of like come and play weird folk music with me. 
um, which I really appreciate. But low tide is always an opportunity for them to just like really lose their minds. <laughs> and and I get to just watch and the audience gets to take it all in. Um, and it's it's honestly way weirder live than it is on the recording. We try to keep it really chill still. But um, there's a lot more experimentation going on while I kind of just hold down that slow, steady guitar part. Very cool. Each tear a star in the midnight sky Dry Dry The moon pulls me so And I may be dating myself when I throw out these these bands, but you do you know Blue Nile and Talk Talk? I know Talk Talk, yeah. So I don't know Blue Nile. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's 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 totally fine. But I I bet that if you go and listen to Blue Nile, you'd be like, that's totally the vibe that I'm going for on this. And that's Whoa. so there you go. You got some homework yeah. to do now. Yeah. Will do. I'm writing it down. Yeah. And and talk talk just so just so people know cuz people are probably going to go, "Oh yeah, I know I know talk talk from it's 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 my life, but the last couple records that uh, you know, the lead singer of Talk Talk put out are so different from mm-hmm. that popular song that you know, you would you would hardly recognize that it's talk talk you know it's not yeah. it's not it's it's my life but anyways cool some cool i stuff. gotta dive back into that yeah all right not <laughs> yeah d- d- now you can say well i didn't steal from them you know, <laughs> i didn't know who they were so that's cool <laughs> all right um anything else you want to tell us about uh pharmacon wolf alice I guess if someone's listening to this podcast and hasn't listened to that record yet, you should go check it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So here's the transition question from the Mm -hmm. interview portion to the record that you chose. So Mm -hmm. we ask everybody their opinion of Toto's Africa. Is it a good or bad song? (laughs) You know what? I feel okay. I don't feel that I can say yes or no, but I will explain that the first time I ever heard that song, I loved it. I loved it so much. I thought it was catchy and hilarious and I didn't really get it, but who cares? The melody's so wacky. But the first time I heard it was as a person in an acapella mm. singing group in college. And so I heard that song once and then proceeded to sing it about 5,000 times in an acapella arrangement and quickly, very quickly grew to hate it with a passion. So both. 
All right. So, so, so where, where do we go with the answer to this, Wayne? Do we go with uh, how she feels about the song now or how she once felt about it? It's a bad song. So I think that's ultimately, I think that's what she's saying. Well, you know, Wayne, Wayne's got some catching up to do because I'm, I'm kicking his ass in this, this particular uh, contest. So I'm, yeah. I'm on, I'm on the good side. I, I love Toto's Africa. So, um, and I'm, and I'm totally winning. So yeah, much. I mean, these songs are as satisfying to sing along to. That's for sure. It is. All right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode. I chose to revisit Janis Joplin's Pearl. Okay. So, so tell us, tell us the thought process was behind choosing that record. There's got to be a personal thing to this. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, this was a hard question, like what record to focus in on. Um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of directions to go, but I thought of Pearl because Janis Joplin was kind of my first discovery of music on my own, if that makes sense. Like I didn't hear her on the radio. My parents didn't play her for me. I don't even remember like exactly why I picked up this CD at like a discount CD shop, but I did. And I put it on not knowing who she was or what her story was at all. Like, I, I think I was between the ages of 10 and 15 and just like, didn't really care at all about the story either. I was just like listening to music. And as soon as I heard the first track, Cry Baby, no, this move over is the first track. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah just her, when her voice comes in, it's like, it just stops you because it doesn't those kind of voices don't really happen very often so it blew my little kid mind and yeah that felt like a good record to revisit has there been another voice like janice well there was a janice musical i think they found some people that sounded like her <laughs> i didn't see it but yeah i would assume I mean, no, I mean, no one could sound like Janice. It's Janice. Wayne, is, are there any voices out there that are like Janice? I don't, I don't think so. It's not even so much the sound. Cause I was, I think I was, I watched the documentary and they have somebody read her letters to her family mm -hmm. and they sound a lot like her, but it's not even the sound so much as it is every song. It sounds like, I mean, you can feel her heart being ripped yeah. apart. Like I don't, I've never, I've never listened. I've never heard anybody put that much emotion into something to where, whether she's singing softly or loudly, or she starts wailing cry baby, or mm -hmm. it still feels like, you. it's like you can get goosebumps sometimes. It's like you can, she feels like she's either, uh, you know, whatever the, whether it's even one of the few positive kind of theme songs, she either feels really happy or she just, but when she feels, when she feels the blues, she, you feel the blues. Yeah. Yeah. It's very contagious. Yeah. And Wayne, you, you mentioned the, the documentary. So the documentary called uh, Janice Little Girl Blue, that's on Amazon Prime right now. Oh, I haven't seen that. I would love I was just going to ask if you had seen it because uh, I did a little homework and uh, Wayne, I think I, I recommended that you go watch it as well, right? Mm. Oh, yes, you did. 
It's it's a decent documentary. I felt like um, <laughs> I felt like it it captured um, a lot of where that heartbreak came from. I mean, there is one there's one portion of that, and and Wayne, you can you can chime in here as a father of a young woman. My heart completely broke when she was Janice was nominated as the ugliest man on campus by her fellow students. Yeah, I think she won. I, did she win? I can't, I couldn't remember. Yeah. Um, so, and that was, that was when she was at university of Austin in Texas. And mm-hmm. I just feel like her, her self-esteem just never recovered from that. Yeah. It's really, really heartbreaking. Broke I never heart. heard that. Yeah, I knew I, I, I have seen like little bio videos of her and have watched a lot of interviews on YouTube over the years. And there is, you can tell like whenever she's talking about her hometown or Texas, there's like a lot of hurt and pain. Yeah. And yeah. Have, have you guys, I don't know if this was featured in the, in the documentary, but there's a, an interview of her when she goes back for like her 10 year reunion or something like that. Yeah. And it's just yeah. so raw. It's crazy how vulnerable she becomes over the course of the interview of like, she's confident she's wearing a feathered boa mm-hmm. and you can just see her face begin to crack when the interviewer is like asking her questions about like, Oh, weren't you bullied here? And I don't know. It's, it's like a really, really hard to watch piece of like media footage. Cause you're like, Oh my God, she's falling apart. You can yeah. see it. I, th- I think the interviewer, if I, if I remember this correctly, the interviewer had asked her, you know, well, you were popular here, right? Or something to that effect. And, and she's like, uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what a dumb question. <laughs> really? That interviewer. Yeah. Don't ask people if they were popular. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Let me get my pen. I'm going to cancel this out. <laughs> Don't ask Siri if she was popular in high school. Okay. <laughs> So what were some of the other records that you thought of outside of outside of Pearl? Was there was there some other ones that came to mind that you're like, mm, maybe I could maybe I should do that one? Um yeah, there was a few. I mean, I was thinking about like, well, what was the first CD I ever bought with my own money, which was Britney Spears's Oops, I Did It Again. But I was like, I don't really want to talk about that, you know? Like do I sometimes put it on still when I'm in a weird mood? Yeah, I do. And it's really fun to sing along to. But I was like, yeah, we don't need to revisit it intentionally, necessarily. It's just like I'm not, I'm not, n- never going to revisit Olivia Newton John's physical on any of these episodes. <laughs> so that was my first cassette tape. So we, we won't be, we won't be doing an episode on that, Wayne. I'm just letting you know. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I know. You really wanted to, to talk about the dolphin song. I know. I know. <laughs> anyway. oh, I love this record. I think I'm going to go listen to the dolphin right after this. <laughs> um, all right. So Britney Spears was on your list. What else? Well, I feel like there's been a lot of records that have come out in the last, like, five years that I love um, and they're like really fresh feelings still. And so I kept kind of thinking about doing one or like deciding on a record. That's like, you know, the person's like 
just put it out a year ago and is probably still touring on it. Um, but I kind of wanted to like dig a little deeper, I guess, into an album that I felt like really formed what I wanted to do and how I wanted to exist as an artist and musician and Pearl kind of bubbled up to the top right away. Now I want to know who, who are you, who are you referring to that's still touring for that record? Uh, do you know the Haley Hendrix record that just came out? Haley Hendrix is on my, my wish list. Yeah. yeah. That her album, I can't remember what the album is called, but it's black and there's a photo of her with some sunflowers Yes. I love that record. Um, His Golden Messenger has a record called Bad Debt. And it's actually like one song in particular called Jesus Shot Me in the Head that like just slays me. I love that one a lot. Um, Mountain Man got a record, The Magic Ship that came out like a year and a half ago now. It's like, yeah, repeat at my house all the time. So Haley's Haley's record is I need to start a garden. Oh yeah, 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 totally. That's why you like it because she's she's, I know. she's probably all about <laughs> the seed bombs like you are. <laughs> yeah, gardening it's a powerful force. You just find people that way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well let's let's get some bio info on pearls. So this was the second and final studio album by Janice. There's been a number of live records that have come out since. This was released posthumously in January of 1971 and it was the final album um, of her with her final touring unit, which was the Full Tilt Boogie Band. Mm. Reach reach number one. Which which I think is just interesting um, to me because it didn't, I don't know, it, knowing what was out in 1971, you know, the Led Zeppelins and the, the Bob mm. Dylans of the world, and uh, the fact that this held the number one spot for nine weeks. Yeah, that's crazy. Is, is that because she passed away? If she would have been living, would, would, would this record have hit number one? Yeah, who knows? I don't know. I'm I'm throwing that out. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah. And impossible to answer, but maybe not. Um, and Wayne, we like to do the Rolling Stone magazine's list of 500 greatest albums of all time. So this was uh, ranked number 125. Mm. So it was one better than Bob Marley and the Whalers' Catch a Fire and hmm. the uh, the Talking Heads record that we did a few months ago, Wayne, ranked yep. 129. Oh, Run DMC's Raising Hell. That was at number 123. Huh. What's number one on that list? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me that. And I, totally <laughs> I think it's Abbey. Is it Abbey Road or is it a Bob? Yeah, Bob I, think, I think it's or, Abbey Road or Sgt. Pepper. Or, okay. Exactly. Yeah. It's okay. it's either it, it, if you said a Beatles record or a Bob Dylan record, you're probably right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for Rolling Stone. Yeah. All right. So uh, as a reminder, our scoring is based off of the number of songs on the record. So Wayne, how many songs on this record? Ten. Which means our top song is going to get ten points. Next favorite song nine. On down to our lowest score of one. 
so let's kick this off. So this is Move Over. guys think about move over is this a good uh good way of kicking kicking this album off i think so this is probably the most uh like blues rock song of the of the whole set mm-hmm. and I, I just like the way it starts with the drums and then the guitar and then the piano comes in and but the drums seem to be what what pushed the song the whole time yeah very true you think the drums move it along or do you think the Hammond moves it along? I, I, I mean the, that drums from the, from the, it starts with just like, I think it's a, um, like a, the snare mm-hmm. and he's just hitting the snare. Then he adds the cymbals and it just, to me, at least for me, I, that's what pushed the song. Yeah. It, it the P when, once the organ comes in, it does it, you know, all the guitar moves out of the way and it may be somewhat, you know, out in front, but to me, the drums are, or what keeps the thing moving. Mm. Mm -hmm. What do you think Siri on this song? You know, I think it is a good way to start, except cry baby is also on this album. And whenever I think about this record, I think it starts with cry baby. And then I play it and I'm like, Oh yeah, it starts with move over. But yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just my personal take on it. So so Wayne, you you brought up the bluesy thing. So if if Janice were alive today and this album would have come out in the 2010s, would this be considered a blues record or would it be considered the mishmash genre of Americana? I you know what I think just like when Amy Winehouse came out or Adele or any of that kind of retro stuff, it may seem like it but with if this came out today, I, I don't, I mean, it could have very well been just pop music, which would have mm. caused other people to try to sound like her and do things like, like she was doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what about with the lyrics? So is there a double entendre going on with the, uh, please don't you do it to me, babe line? I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I mean, possibly, but I didn't, that to me in the theme of this song wasn't the most important part. It was just, uh, you know, like I say, she's conveying this, you know, get, if you're either get in or get out, either let me go or, you know, you got to stop hanging around because I, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with you or I'm obsessed with you. I, I got to have you. Mm-hmm. So you know, go away and let me, let me be. And like I say, the whole time you can just, you could just feel it. Like it just comes through the speakers and you can just feel how torn apart she is by this that's the thing that just stands out about her to me mm-hmm. is how she she makes i mean like i say she actually it's like you can feel it in the air 
Yeah. Well, and I think this is one I, I I'm not positive, but I think this is one of maybe two songs she actually wrote too. Like move over is, is one that Janet. Yeah. And she's the only credit on it. Yeah. The only thing I could find, I mean, I, I don't know if that's completely accurate because she's not really known for arranging mm-hmm. music, but um, yeah, she's the only one credited with this song. Yeah. Interesting. And I guess in that sense, it makes sense to put it first, especially since it was like released posthumously. It's like, well, let's start, let's start with a Janice song. Right. Through and through. Yeah. And the reason why I was asking Wayne about the lyrics is I, f- I feel like my feeling on this song pre and post watching the documentary, it changed a little bit because in the documentary, mm-hmm. she indicated, you know, that the guys in the band would always go home with, you know, strange girls and, you know, living the, the rock style life. Mm-hmm. And Janice, more often than not, went home alone. And yeah. again, I that had to kill your self-esteem because, you know, you're this big, huge rock star, and yet, you know, your basis is going home with somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it can. Yeah, I don't know what that's like, but I would imagine it's a pretty raw state of being to, like, be on tour and see that every night and be, like, a very lonely person. Yeah. All right. Did we catch everything on this one? Should we get some scores? Sure. Yeah, the only thing you didn't mention was some of the the covers, which most of them are pretty good. The one that the worst one by far is the Cinderella cover from the oh. uh Stairway to Heaven, Highway to Hell, you know, album that was from 89. I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> Me neither. That oh, really? Yeah. A bunch of a bunch of hair metal artists did songs by bands that lost somebody to drug to to drug uh, drug related deaths. Mm. So there was, you know, T-Rex and the who and Janis Joplin. Mm. Interesting stuff by them. Okay. It and it was horrible. There were all the songs were pretty much terrible. I will, I will avoid that. All right. (laughs) All right. Uh, Wayne, your score on this. I gave it an eight as much. This is the one where I think the the music stands out, um, not as, as ahead of the vocals, but at least on par with them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then Siri? I gave it an eight, too. All right. And I'm giving this a nine. I like it. This is a good way to get this, uh, get this record started. Mm-hmm. All right. Next song is Cry Baby. Siri 
calls it the first track on the record. <laughs> the first track in my mind. <laughs> and if you want to hear what the fuss is with um, Janis Joplin, you just need to listen to this song, right? I mean, yeah. she totally wails on this song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but if anybody, on the rare occasion that someone would say, I don't get why Janis Joplin is a big deal, I would still put them on to piece of my heart. To me, mm-hmm. that's the quintessential Janis Joplin song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you listen song. to the deluxe edition of this record? I have it, but I I didn't I didn't specifically listen to anything. So there's a live version of this song that was recorded in Toronto. Um, and when I initially heard the song before knowing about the deluxe edition, I was like, the band had to have played this song live a number of times before putting it on the wax. Cause mm-hmm. the band seemed like too tight yeah. for, for this song, the way that they orchestrate this. I mean, they, they just kill, they just kill this song. It's, it's mm-hmm. great. Cool. Um, Okay, and uh, oh, and if you do listen to the live version as well, you'll you'll hear her riff about her man trying to find himself. And if you watch the <laughs> yeah. and if you watch the documentary, you'd know that it's pretty much directed at a particular ex boyfriend that was interviewed for that documentary. So, oh, yeah, there you go. Watch this. <laughs> there you go. More homework. <laughs> I gave you a bunch of homework now. I know that's kind of homework though. So. I I mean we have to we have to go check out um, uh, Angela Carter. So you know it seems only fair <laughs> that we give you homework as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else we What else we got to say about Cry Baby? Yeah, it's it's all in the chorus. I mean, mm-hmm. the song. It's also another uh, Jerry Ragavoy song, who actually is a co writer for Peace of My Heart. Mm-hmm. He's also a co writer on two other songs on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, yeah, he, he, he apparently knew how to write songs for other people that Janis Joplin would sing and just take and just steal from them. Like, <laughs> I don't think anyone, I'd be hard pressed for anybody to sing the song and make it memorable at this yeah, point. Yeah. She kind of knocked the lights out on this. Yeah. All right. Let's get some scores. So Wayne. Seven. I seven too. And so did I. So we're, we're matching sevens <laughs> on this. <All> right. <laughs> So yeah, we're matching we're matching scores that doesn't happen very often on these episodes and actually for this episode we have we have like three songs that we agreed on all mm-hmm. uh, our our scores are the same. So um all right, let's move on. Next song, A Woman Left Lonely. And 
the the credits since Wayne you were talking about writing credits so the writing credits for this go to Spooner Oldham and Dan Penn so those are Spooner's famous Muscle Shoals musicians written or performed with everybody in the mm. scene back in the 70s and 80s played with Neil Young for several albums um, what do you guys think about this this song because again my my thoughts on this song changed after watching the documentary because I could feel her loneliness in the singing. Hmm. Absolutely. The loneliness once again, just like, I mean, every, uh, that's what I, what I've been saying is you just feel what she's feeling through her voice. This song score wise suffered from, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good songs on here. And this one didn't, I don't know. It didn't stand out. Um, maybe like some of the others did. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that organ. So <laughs> when I heard that, or every time I would hear the organ solo in the middle between the verses, it always made me, it reminded me of Procol Harum's uh, whiter shade of pale. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I wrote that. I wrote that down as well. I'm like uh whiter shade of pale right here. Mm. Mm. And Siri's probably never heard that song. Before. I haven't. I'm quietly, <laughs> I agree. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think I totally agree though, that this song suffers from there being so many great songs on this one record, but weirdly a woman left lonely was the tune. I like tried to learn on guitar first from this album. And I don't really know why like little Siri wanted to do that, but I think there's something about the melody. It's really singable for a Janice song, if that makes sense. It's the way she sings it isn't like so intimidating that you don't want to touch it. It's like, it's inviting and doable in a lot of different ways. So, yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, anything else, Wayne? Uh, no. All right. I didn't have anything else on it. All right. Let's get some scores. Wayne? I gave it a five. All right. Siri? I gave it a six. And I also gave it a six. So that leads us to Half Moon. This was one of your least favorites. So tell us why you didn't quite like this one as much as Wayne and I did. You know, I think for the bottom three that I scored, it was ultimately, it's not that I had like a strong opinion on not liking it. It's that like whenever I listen to the record, I just skip. I just skip it. I just want to get to the other stuff. 
which is maybe rude, but um, yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of want to just move on to other things when I listen to it. So I gave it the low score. Is it because the writing credits go to John Hall and Johanna Hall? <laughs> I don't know who those people are. I had to look that. I was, I was surprised too. Do you know who John Hall is? Well, I didn't not, initially. I just saw the name and I looked into it. But Not uh, from Hall and Oates. Looked, not from Hall and Oates. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. He, he's from Orleans, the uh, Yacht Rock uh, legend. And I didn't realize that he's actually a, he was a member of Congress. What? Oh, what? Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. You didn't know that? No. Yeah, he's a, he was the cricket from like upstate New York. Interesting. He isn't any, he isn't, he isn't currently, but he was. Yeah. Orleans, that's uh, the, the song Steal the One and Dance With Me. Yeah, he, him and his wife wrote that one too. Yeah. yeah. Those are, oh. those are, those are his songs. So, hmm. anyways, thought that was interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get some scores on this. So, Siri? Two. Wayne. And I gave it a six and I definitely can understand why I, I don't, it was one of those things that I think there was something different about it that I liked, like the congas, they give it this whole kind of a funky mm. sound to it that it's, that was so different from the, cause I would listen to it and I think this isn't, this isn't as strong as a woman left lonely, but I, I just, I guess I liked how different it was. Mm-hmm from everything else and that funky conga uh, beat that was going on. Yeah. yeah. So I gave it a six. I, I liked it. And the reason why I, I, I give it a five is, is because um, it, it feels a little happier than some of the other songs. on the <laughs> So um, anyways, so I, 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 I liked it just from that, that standpoint that it's a little bit different. So mm-hmm. Yeah, the girl gets the guy. Exactly. That hardly ever works out in a Janis Joplin song. Yeah, very true. Correct. All right, next song is Buried Alive in the Blues. Should we just throw out what our scores are going to be for this song? <laughs> yeah, it's missing the key thing that makes this album great. I don't, and I, I think it has to be attributed to not having a lot of material, not having a, you know, having gotten enough material mm-hmm. to put an album together. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that if they were going to do it, which I still think was a bad idea, because it's not a, it's not that it's a terrible song. It's that it's not bad. You, there's no Janis Joplin. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're all here for Janis. Yeah, that's the key to this whole record. And so to even put a song without her on it, I think maybe they could have maybe put it at the end and maybe slowed the tempo down and kind of made it as some sort of a a, a tribute or a, a mm-hmm. memoriam. But to put it in the middle of the album and just as it was, and I mean, about 15 seconds into it, I'm thinking I she should be singing right now. Yeah. Why is she not singing? Why? Why is this happening? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like sh- you could hear it. Like it's like I, there's a melody there. There's lyrics there, but they're just not there. 
but it's almost it is ghostly to just have an instrumental track on on this record so, I think. so i did a little research on this this song because i'm like there's got to be a reason why you throw this on the record not give any credit to the full tilt boogie band because that's you know the the previous records of being big brother and the holding company that was right there on the album full tilt mm-hmm. boogie band is not on the album title you know so mm-hmm. so i thought yeah well that's that that kind of stinks that they're not even on here well so janice had sang on all the tracks except for this one because she died before recording the vocals and the song's mm-hmm. writer nick Gravin- gravinettis the research that I found was he was offered the opportunity to sing it as a tribute to Joplin with the lyrics and he turned it down and they just said, mm-hmm. okay, we're just going to throw this on, you know, we, mm-hmm. we need 10 songs or we need filler or whatever, but I don't, yeah. I don't know. I would have rather them just not have put this on the record. Yeah. Yeah. I think they could have gone with nine. I mean, it might have kept him from doing something else, like maybe adding a live track or whatever. But I just, I don't, I just don't understand how you put a, a and, and like I say, it's not like she, she doesn't even play any of the instruments. It's yeah. not like yeah. you're putting an instrumental on a Janis Joplin record and she has absolutely nothing to do with it. She didn't yeah. write it. She didn't perform vocals. She didn't play any of the instruments. It doesn't make any sense. It boggles the mind. Yeah, I feel like the only way I can really imagine it is if, she was like really excited about it. And the people that were like intimately involved in making this record knew how she felt about it. And almost, almost like a, it should be on there for her kind of thing. Like that's the only way I can like, it makes any sense to me, like sentimental for the people who were in the room and were making it all together. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, do I even need to say, "Hey, what's your score?" We're we're all in agreement. This I think is, it's clear. Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. We're all in agreement on this. All right, let's <laughs> let's flip the record over. First song on side B. This is my baby. So, um, what's, uh, what is it about this song that it's just, I don't know. It's kind of passable to me. Uh, my baby sounds a lot like cry baby. Yeah. And the music is a very reminiscent of that. This is also not, and that it's not completely on un, unbelievable because it's actually, this is also a Jerry Rogovoy song and, Garnett Mims, who sang Crybaby originally, is also originally sang this song too. So it has a lot of things in common, but it sounded too much like Crybaby. 
like a like a, like a knockoff of itself. Mm-hmm. My my guess is that if they would have continued to record, this probably would have been a song that they would have cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I, I I believe that. Like I say, there just wasn't enough stuff. I mean, there was clearly just barely enough stuff to put well, a record. But together. why do you put this on on as the first song on the second side? <laughs> that's that's what I don't understand. Yeah, I, I don't know. yeah. Um. So let me ask you this: Is she is she being literal with the "I got my baby" meaning meaning it's an infant, or is the baby like her daddy or her love interest? I think she says daddy, and that's what she called uh, that the boy. The guy's name was David Niehaus, that she hung around Brazil with, and I actually heard her call him that. And like, he was even mentioning like postcards that she had sent him where she calls him that. So I, I thought it was a direct reference to him. Okay. Hmm. Sarah, you agree with that? Well, I don't know (laughs) just cause she didn't write it. So who knows? I know but Garrett Mims, who's, who is a man probably wouldn't be, it was, it probably either said honey or baby and she Mm -hmm. changed it to daddy. I think she, she changed some of the lyrics okay. to fit a woman because it was originally sung by a man. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. I can go. That makes sense. I can go with that. All right. This is my two, Wayne. <laughs> this is also a two. And then Siri. I mean, I kind of agree with you guys. I gave it a four, but the bottom four were all kind of, those are just the tracks I skip over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> makes sense. Okay. Yeah. All right. That leads us to me and Bobby McGee. Let's let's bring up a bunch of facts about this song, who's recorded this song, and then I'm going to ask you a question after I bring up all these facts. All right, you guys ready? Ready. So the song was written by Chris Christopherson. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. It was performed by Roger Miller first in 1969. Uh, it hit number 12 on the U.S. country chart. Gordon Lightfoot also recorded a version that went in Canada was uh, a number one country song in Canada. Kenny Rogers in the first edition also recorded a version of this song. Uh, Didn't Mm -hmm. release it as a single, but you know, Kenny Rogers recorded this in 1969. Christofferson also recorded his own version. And so Joplin recorded this song only a few days before she died. Christofferson, mm-hmm. um, the first time he had heard her recording of it was actually the day after she died. 
Wow. Yeah, it was like they they had sent it to him. Yeah. Like she sent him a copy of the recording right. wow. that he got wow. in the mail after she died. That's crazy. So so now that I've given you all that information of all these, you know, heavyweights who have recorded this song. And so the question that I've got is, so who do you associate this song with? I've never listened to a single cover of this song. I, I've heard, I, and I don't even know why anyone would. I went into this with the same kind of feeling when we did uh, Leonard Cohen's Various Positions. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that, you know, uh, Hallelujah is not gonna be my favorite song. Me and Bobby McGee is not gonna be my favorite song of this record. It's ridiculous. I, it's this is one of the best songs ever, and she. This is the definitive version. I, I. I wouldn't be, I would not listen to anybody else's version of this song. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's interesting because, and I forgot to mention this earlier when you asked me what other albums I almost said, and I was really between Willie Nelson sings Chris Christopherson and Janis Joplin Pearl. And then I realized that they both have me and Bobby McGee on it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to decide on like which album to to talk about with these new friends by who like who I think does the better version and it was like well it's Janice but Willie does an amazing version of this song I love his version and I bet all those other versions are good because this is a great song it's so this is, I mean oh my god to me and it's funny I only know of two songs that Chris Christopherson wrote now I'm sure he's wrote a hundred mm-hmm. but. Sunday Morning Coming Down and Me and Bobby McGee. And if those were the only two songs that he ever wrote, he would still be, I would still consider him a great songwriter. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the best. Yeah. I just watched the Linda Ronstad documentary a couple days ago. And so now I'm in totally a Linda Ronstad wormhole. Um, (laughs) I just bought three more records of Linda Ronstad today. In fact, Wayne, that I couldn't pass up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> set set me back a whole whopping seven dollars for the three of them so I, could, I couldn't resist but one of the great things about linda is the fact that she can take anyone's song and turn it into hers like like i don't even i don't even hear you know um the everly brothers or warren zevon when she's covering it because i hear linda's version like she had that mm. uncanny ability of taking any one song and turning it into hers. And that and a great example is Blue By You. I mean, Roy Orbison's version of that is awesome, but it's not it she she completely owns it. Absolutely. And so that's mm. that's how I view what Janice did with me and Bobby McGee as well. That yeah, it was written by Chris Christopherson, but this is a Janice song. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, yeah, yeah. You guys listen to the demo version of this that's on the deluxe. I did not. Oh, no. I love the interaction at the beginning of the rec of of the recording because she asks, um, "Am I getting my Texas accent back during it?" <laughs> it's just really sweet. Yeah. All right. What else we got to say about me and Bobby McGee that hasn't already been said 20 million times? By other uh, one of the top 10 coolest lines ever written for, you know, put to music. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Mm-hmm. 
And it ain't nothing if it ain't free. <laughs> like I say, that's just a cool line. And plus, like I say, the way she she ha- carries this despair and sadness, but at the same time, you you just there's like a there's just this like fierce independence and wandering spirit to it. And I mean, who who knows what America means or anything? I'm not trying to make some sweeping generalization, but when I listen to this song. You can just see the empty interstate and the tumbleweed and the and the semi trucks and the yeah the highway tourist traps and just like the random people you meet on the road and it just feels yeah, like two kids that. sitting in the back of a pickup driving you know going yeah. down the the high, you know an old country road yeah absolutely yeah I really it's it's cinematic I think lyrically and I just never get tired of it I love it. It's a great song. Uh, so we're all in agreement. This is the best song on the record. Heck yeah. Absolutely. 10 out of okay. 10. 10 out of 10. All right. Moving on. Mercedes Benz. <laughs> a Mercedes Benz. My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Worked hard all my lifetime. No help from my friends. So, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz. And I tried to say it like she she said. Benz. Yeah, this one just brings a smile to my face. I love it. It's so lighthearted and goofy. This was the last song re- recorded by Janice in this lifetime. Wow. Yep. And the laugh at the end. Oh, that makes me smile every time. I know. Yeah, that makes me smile. And this is, like I say, I love this song. This is one of the, this is probably the first song I ever heard because it was still being kind of played on rock radio because it does have that, that kind of goofiness. And, and mm-hmm. um, it's a total, you know, like a humorous smack at crass consumerism, consumerism mm-hmm. and even religion. Yeah. And it, it's also, it's almost magical because this is the, this is the only take. She nailed this on the first take. Wow. And it's, I think the fact that it's acapella, so mm-hmm. what, it just highlights what Buried Alive in the Blues is missing. Yeah. Like, they can't do it without her, but she can absolutely do it without anybody. Yeah, amen to that. Did they intend to put music to this, or was this just a uh, always going to be... You know, and, and I, I mean, Paul Rothschild knows his way around a, a studio, so I, I don't know. But I mean, I can't imagine it any other way. Yeah, me neither. I would have loved to have this as the last song of the record. Would that have been insensitive considering the song ends with a that's it? <laughs> they might have had to cut that out. <laughs> I, I don't I think it should be first or last and last. I think it should be last. <laughs> but it's like it, it's like. What what else is there to say? It's just Janice's voice and like space and time, and yeah, yeah there's something really magical about it. Yeah, you'd have to. I think you'd have to keep the "that's it" because the laugh happens after she says that, and that has to be included. Well, and that is it. I didn't really realize this was the last song she ever recorded, but that's it. Like that. That's the one. You guys are going to totally hate me because of my score on this one. <laughs> <laughs> What was it? So I gave it a four. This wow. is one of my favorite. This isn't one of my favorite songs on it. Uh, that's all right. Well, that's it. 
But you know, <laughs> Wayne, we've 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 talked a, a few times on some of the records that where it's just the the singer singing by themselves, and I it's, it's not my thing. Yeah, I I th- I think that I have a really deep seated hatred for acapella, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. and and it, and it's just man. It's just manifesting itself on the records that we talk about. So, all right, let, let's get some scores from you guys. So, Wayne, I gave it a nine. This I is one also of my favorite gave songs. it a nine. We have a lot of scores, Wayne. That, yes, yeah, indeed. I think you guys are listening to the same record or something. <laughs> you all should right. try it. I know. Maybe I should. I'm sorry. Uh, I do feel bad about that, considering that you guys are gushing all over it. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to crap on this one. <laughs> um, all right. Next song is Trust Me. Make anybody want to sacrifice. My life is like a seed, baby. Just need time to grow. Um, and this was a Bobby Womack um, mm-hmm. first sung by Jackie DeShannon. And this version isn't too far removed from that Jackie version. Um, if you if you hear the Bobby Womack version, though, just bear in mind that it's very mid 70s, early 70s R&B. Didn't do much for me. Mm. Um, and like I said, with. You know, me and Bobby McGee, Janice totally makes this one her own, even though it's it's not that far different from Jackie DeShannon's version. I mean, Janice just she makes this her own song. What do you guys have to say about Trust Me? I expect it better from Bobby Womack. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the older the, the older the grape, the sweeter the wine. My love is a seed just needs time to grow. I don't know. It just, it was not strongly. I mean, this guy wrote, you know, it's over now, but that the Rolling Stones covered, I mean, Mm. Bobby Womack's a legend. I guess I just expected more. Hmm. Yeah. I I don't actually have anything. I don't have anything that harsh to say, but it's more so (laughs) that I can never remember how this song goes. Like the melody doesn't really stick in my head. There aren't lyrics that feel memorable to me. So it's it's more just like that I don't retain it, which I think, you know, if you're going to do anything with a song, you, you kind of want people to remember it. And just, this one just doesn't stick out to me at all. Yeah, I, I agree. It's just not a very memorable song. Mm-hmm. Um, so what else you got to say besides your disappointment in Bobby Womack? I just, I just think that I, this one again highlights. I just think if they had more material to work with, I'm not sure that this, that this would have even made it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is an interesting right. factor for this whole record because there are these home runs, in my opinion, that like just totally shape the psyche of my own understanding of music. And then there are these like complete duds on this record. It makes for a really interesting listening experience. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and yeah. and and even though I gave Mercedes Benz a low score, I don't fast forward that one. Mm-hmm. But I'm but I'm definitely fast forwarding. Trust me, and I'm definitely fast forwarding. You know, my baby and mm-hmm. buried alive in the blues. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with I agree, I agree with that assessment. Mm-hmm. All right, should we get some scores? I gave it a three. I also gave it a three. <laughs> and, and guess what? I also gave it a three. Wow. So, That's some yeah. empirical data right there. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's wrap this up. So this is get it while you can. You're taking a gamble on a little song. Go back to my my comment about I would have liked Mercedes Benz as the ending song. Mm-hmm. I get why they would have put this as the ending song because it's really got the theme of, you know, mortality is so fleeting. So mm-hmm. get it while you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one lyric. So let me let me find the lyric. Um, but then who cares, baby? Because we may not be here tomorrow. Yeah. No, she sings that and it's like. Oh, how about that for a gut punch? Yeah. <laughs> Good life motto. Get it while you can. Yeah, that's that's that was my first note. Just good advice. Yeah. What do you guys think about the ending of this song? I how does it did help? they go all almonds brothery? I can't remember. Yeah, she, a little bit. I mean, she's like, get it, want it, need it, hold it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I kind of love it when Janice lets loose because I think that's when you really see her use her instrument is when she's just kind of, it's like, what is she even saying? She's just like making noise like a trumpet or something. But that's not my favorite moment when she does it on the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good or bad way to end the record with this song? I don't, I don't, it just felt like maybe not strong enough mm-hmm. for the finish, but, mm-hmm. uh, I did, I, it was the only guitar solo I, I heard was on this and mm-hmm. it's still, it's even that, even saying that it was still a mostly, uh, a keyboard song, but, uh, I, I don't know. It didn't, it is, I didn't feel like it's, it, it ended strongly, but once again, I think this song was a, definitely a strong performance and would have definitely made it onto the album. I just am curious if they if they had her for another week or two and could have recorded some more material. Mm-hmm. Some of these, this how different this album would have looked. Yeah. Or might have looked. Well, and I think it's important to just keep in mind too, like that Janice's death is a huge factor on this record. And like it wouldn't exist if like 
yeah, if things hadn't unfolded the way they did. So it is this like, would this, would Pearl even be something that happened if Janice hadn't died when she did? So I feel like part of the unfinishedness or the roughness or maybe like the, you know, less than ideal song order or choice, it's like also a testament to like a life that just ended really shortly and tragically. It's just like embedded into the song order. And yeah, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, there's definitely a sense of mystery around the whole thing. And I mean, and her in general, like I say, just like Jimi Hendrix, there's just no idea who we can't even fathom what what could have been to come. Like we'll always we'll we'll always wonder. I mean, Mm -hmm. if that was would they have gotten better or you know, I just watched this David Lee Roth video on YouTube today and I'm like, oh my (laughs) God. Like what, how, how did the guy who, who, who in 1985 was the biggest rock star in the world turned into this lounge singer who can't even sing his own songs anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, not, not that I wanted for his death at the age of 27, but I'm just saying yeah. we'll, we'll never know. It could have been a train wreck after this. I mean, she was doing obviously so much heroin that she died. Yeah. So maybe she derailed and, and, and it was just an, another album down the road, but maybe, maybe there was even better stuff that we, yeah. real, that we just didn't get to, to, to hear. Yeah. It's hard with those artists that I think, I mean, when I, what I know of Janice's story is that it was like always pretty dark and it, the more I learn, the more it's like, Oh man, this almost feels inevitable. But then also to just think about how young 27 is and what could have happened. Yeah. It's haunting. Well, obviously, I like this song better than you guys because I gave it an eight. So, what's your what's your score on this? I gave it a five. Uh, I gave it a four. Okay, all right. So, just a last couple last comments. So, you know, I made reference to the deluxe version uh, a couple different times. So, there's a happy birthday song to a John. With, with Happy Trails, so she starts it with, Hello, John, this is Janice. Do you guys know who the John is? Yeah, John Lennon. That's oh, John. really? Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't get that till after her death also. And he didn't get it until two days after she died as well. Wow. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, and I like the uh, alternate version of Move Over as well starts mm-hmm. out with like this clapping trying to keep the beat before the band comes in and then it uh it rocks so cool. anyways there there are a couple of good things on the deluxe version so um you know if you listen like i do to a lot of music off of spotify the deluxe version is definitely out there and you can uh, you can go check that out hmm. um all right so did we miss anything on this record? Did we cover everything? I think we covered it pretty good. Yeah, we, we nailed it. <laughs> All right. This is usually the part of the, the episode where I go, hey, what do you think our top song was? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have to do that. So, hey, what do you think our number two song is? Uh, move over. Move over. Yeah. yeah that was... Uh, average score of 8.33 for that. Um, mm-hmm. Number three. Cry Baby. Cry Baby. 
That's actually number four. Uh, Mercedes so Benz. Mercedes Benz, um, because both of you gave it a nine and I cool. tanked it a little bit for you guys. Sorry. <laughs> um, and then, so Crybaby is four. And then with an average score of 5.66, we've got a woman left lonely tied with get it while you can. And that would mm. be because of my eight that I gave. <laughs> so. Ridiculous. You're ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it has been a pleasure revisiting yeah. this oh, record yes. with you, Siri. Yeah. Thank you for inspiring me to do so. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, this was this was great. So, uh, so tell our listeners where they can find all the happenings of Siri and Humbird. Yeah, uh, where's the best place? Our website's pretty reliable, <laughs> um, or Instagram and Facebook. But we try to keep our show upcoming shows. You know, we're we're pretty busy for 2020. We'll be all over the country and in Europe. So. Yeah, if you're awesome. on either of those continents, check it out. Humbirdmusic.com. Very cool. Yeah. So uh so last question, and I lift this question from a fellow podcaster that uh that's here in Orlando. Hmm. And this is uh this is how we got connected with you because we asked Shane, so who do you know that I don't know who'd want to join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records? Ooh. Hmm. Oh, there's so many people. Cause you're you're in Florida. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um Well, I'm in Florida. Wayne is in Washington State. So wow. we, we we couldn't be further apart to do this podcast. So Dang. um, do you guys know Anna Tivel? <laughs> so, That's how we got Shane Leonard. That's <laughs> funny. Oh, I love her already so much. <laughs> Um, hmm. maybe another Minneapolis hometown hero would be cool. There's a lot of great songwriters. Who's there? Cause I'm, I'm yeah. my mini, my Minneapolis, uh, you know, sound pretty much starts and ends with like the replacements Husker do <laughs> and Prince. So, yeah. um, I'm trying to think there, there was a lot of good music that came out this year. I have a friend named Sarah. She performs her, her band name is the nunnery and I love what she puts out. I think she's really great. Um, has a really unique voice and, um, yeah, I would reckon, I would recommend her the nunnery. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll chat. Do they start each of their concerts with get thee to the nunnery? <laughs> no, but maybe she will after she hears that. That'd be funny. Yeah. <laughs> Just quote anybody who's ever done Hamlet, you know? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Mm, cool. This is really fun. Thank you both, Ben and Wayne. So cool to meet you through this. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisit podcast. We're on Instagram as well. You can find us if you go to Records Revisit podcast or use the hashtag of the same name. We're on Twitter at Podcast Records, and you can find all of our old episodes at Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Spotify, or you can just go to Records Revisit Podcast and you can listen there as well. So on all of those platforms, please go subscribe and rate or review us. 
So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, visit a record store, and not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited, and we are... Out. 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 <laughs> <laughs>